0: good to be back. It's good to be here with you all, and I am glad to be able to say these words. Let's read this morning from the Word of God. Today's scripture passage comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Hear now the Word of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our hearts this morning to be willing to hear what you have to say to us. Make us receptive. Send your spirit to make us willing. Make us ready to hear your word, even when it has hard things to say to us, things within our own hearts that we need to face for ourselves. Especially today, Lord, would you use your word to form us into those who are merciful and those who receive mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I, you may have noticed with these Beatitudes is that I tend to start off by showing how countercultural each of these Beatitudes is, and if I tried to break from that this morning and tell you that we live in a very merciful culture, I think you would think I was lying, because I would be, um, because we live in an unmerciful day. We live in a winner-take-all day, a day where... If you confess to a sin, a mistake, or some kind of error, it is seen as a weakness and it is seen as an opportunity to pounce. This person waffles. This person can't make up their mind. And so everything becomes an opportunity to destroy another person, right? We live in a most unmerciful day if there ever was one. Uh, We live in an online moment where everything somebody ever says or does is used as a weapon to take them down. In other words, we live in a very winner-take-all world. And one thing that I think is often missing, and in fact, I think I almost feel safe in saying is totally missing, is this element of forgiveness. So even when people say, I have made a mistake or I have sinned, oftentimes what happens is the confession is accepted and forgiveness is not granted. Uh, People say, look, decisions are decisions. You made that joke 15 years ago. Your life is ruined. Uh, Go find a cardboard box somewhere. You know, that's sort of the way it works. Um, The mood of the day is to bring the hammer down. And so because of this, what Jesus has said here, like so many of the other Beatitudes, it tends to be deeply countercultural, which makes sense, actually, because guess what? Being merciful, according to Jesus, is a Christian expectation. It is a Christian virtue. It should not be surprising to us when non-Christians are unmerciful. That should not be surprising to us. Um... I think I need to take a step back, though, and remember—you know—I've been absent from the pulpit for three weeks. We are building upon prior sermons, prior texts in this Sermon on the Mount. One of the things I want you to remember is where we've been and where we're going here. The Sermon on the Mount is a description of the Christian life. The Sermon on the Mount is not a series of moralistic statements about what it takes to be a good person in general. Specifically, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that reminds us what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it looks like to live out that citizenship as Jesus' people. The rest of the world prizes being unmerciful. It prizes being strict in how we treat repentant people. But with Christians, it ought not to be so, says Jesus. We should be quick to show mercy, and we should be glad to do it. Jesus once again is giving us a Christian message for what we are to be like as followers of him. Now, remember what Jesus has has shown us already as far as his Sermon on the Mount goes. He's shown us that to come to God, to be blessed, to be happy, we must first know that we are unhappy and that we are not blessed and that we are empty And we should really come to God very much as the debtor in the relationship, not as the one who acts and who gets what they deserve from God. No, God is the benefactor. God is the benevolent one. God is the kind one. He is the one who treats us better than we deserve. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what Jesus was implanting within us, even as these Beatitudes began. It's also what it means to be the one who mourns. Jesus says, blessed is the one who mourns. Why did he do that? Because we are to be people who are not at all satisfied with our deficiencies. It should cause us to mourn that we are poor in spirit. It should cause us sadness within our hearts that we are not who God expects us to be. And so one of the things Jesus is showing us throughout these Beatitudes is only when we see how unholy we are in comparison to the standard of God will we realize the need to look to Jesus to be the Holy One for us who can give us real rest for our souls. That's the task that Jesus has set himself to in the first part of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. But here at this point in the sermon, we sort of turn just a little bit jesus changes his focus even if it is very subtle because up until this point the beatitudes what were they about they were about the christian recognizing his need they were about how does the christian come before god Uh, Does the Christian recognize that he needs something besides himself? He needs the Lord Jesus to be his righteousness in in a way that a sinner can't be for himself. A sinner cannot be his own righteousness. And Jesus is belaboring that for us. But now, instead of focusing on the attitude about how we come before God, the the focus of Jesus in verse 7 turns. It shifts just a bit. Now Now he turns to the disposition of the Christian. What sort of a person is this that would follow the Lord Jesus? What kind of person is this that follows Jesus? What does Jesus mean, particularly this morning, when he talks about those who are merciful? Mercy is something that concerns itself with those suffering from the misery of sin. Uh, If you read the confession of uh, our church's confession of faith, one of the things it does is it distinguishes between the guilt of sin and the misery of sin. Those are two different things, both of which Jesus comes to deal with. Um, And so um, when you're talking about grace, on the other hand, you're talking about people who are suffering from the guilt of sin. Sin has this impact in our lives, and it has these two sides to it. And so as sinners, we need the guilt of sin to be dealt with, but we also need the misery of sin to be dealt with. And so Jesus says, When I call you to be merciful... I'm calling you to be someone who seeks to see the misery of sin lifted, not just the guilt of sin lifted. Well, in this case, this morning, Jesus says this is a merciful person. The Christian is someone who shows mercy and who is blessed, who is happy. That's what we're really called to, says Jesus. And so what I want to do is simply break this down into two parts this morning. I've left the three-part sermon in the dust. You'll never hear another three-part sermon again. Okay, I probably broke a commandment there. <laughs> Been doing a lot of two-part sermons, though, from the Beatitudes. See, we're, we're meant to be people. These are the two parts. We are meant to be mercy getters. That's the first point. We are meant to be mercy getters. But then part point two is that we are meant to be mercy givers. So mercy getters, mercy givers. Just rolls off the tongue. So first, let's look at this. Jesus says Christians are our mercy getters. Now, if you read the text, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You very strongly may object to this at this point and say, Look, the passage says first they give mercy then they get mercy. Preacher, you have, uh, by because of some theological commitment you have, you have decided to reverse these things, and I must strongly object. Um, I could definitely see someone saying that, right? Preacher, you've got the merciful, You, you're, first you're merciful, then you get mercy, you've got this cause and effect backwards, but there is a question here, is Jesus really talking about cause and effect? I, I actually... Think that the right way to read this is not as a cause and effect relationship where Jesus is saying first this, then this, then this. If you follow this set of things, then at the end of it all, you get mercy. I think Jesus is talking in terms of natural relationship here. Um, Jesus is saying that the kind of person who gives mercy is the kind of person who has gotten mercy. The kind of person who has gotten mercy is the kind of person who gives mercy. You see how these are interdependent, how they go one way and the other. One doesn't cause the other. Somebody is already like both of these things. Right? These things are wedded together. Uh, this is, I think, a more helpful and coherent way of understanding what Jesus says here. Let me see if I can get this across clearly. The Christian gospel places its primary emphasis not upon doing, but upon being. Um, I'm I'm obligated to quote Martin Um, Lloyd-Jones. I I signed something somewhere in the past, and now I have to do it. But Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, a Christian is something before he does anything. We have to be a Christian before we can act as Christians. All right, we get it completely backwards. If we say, act like a Christian, then you will become one. That's completely backwards. So, living out mercy towards others is responsive. Jesus is asking the question, not of causality here, but of disposition. Jesus is saying, Who are you? And has God done a work in your heart so that you are like this? That is my explanation of why this point goes first and not second. And actually, if you understand it well, then you can put it first or you can put it second. But the kind of person who is unmerciful is the kind of person who doesn't know what it is to receive mercy. If someone has only ever received justice all their life, if someone has only ever received the opposite of mercy then all they're going to be able to do is give justice to other people. Just let's bring the hammer down. That's all anyone's ever done for me. I'm going to bring the hammer down on you. And so the reception of mercy from God is part of what prepares us to be people who dispense mercy to others. It makes us willing and eager to dispense mercy to others because we've tasted it and we've experienced it. And we want others to know the same thing. We've got to taste mercy before we can share mercy. We've seen this in recent years. I remember the shock that the world experienced when we saw our brothers and sisters in the Lord at Emmanuel AME Church in, in Charleston a couple years ago. I have a couple of friends, Nick Batzig and, and John Payne. They're both ministering in the city of Charleston. And after Dylan Roof entered that church in, at Emmanuel AME, he went to the basement and shot those innocent brothers and sisters who were doing nothing more than studying the scripture together. And we saw in the aftermath how family members and church members expressed a willingness to forgive this man who had done something so terrible in cold blood, these dear saints of God. And when the, 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 when the shooting happened, the world was shocked, but it almost seems to me at least that the world was more shocked by the mercy expressed by the family members of the victims. And they were able to do this, and they were explicit about this when they spoke. They said, because God has shown mercy to, you, to me, I am willing to show mercy to you as well. It is God showing mercy to us that makes such a thing possible. If you, if you think that Jesus is saying that being merciful to others is how we get God to give us mercy, ask yourself this question, haven't you by that point turned this entire thing upside down? Um, It is God's mercy that models and equips us so we're able to do this thing we would not have had the ability to do prior. It's it's impossible to show a mercy that we've never seen. Over and over again in scripture, we, we see this, that God acts in kindness toward us, then we respond in kind. Think about 1 John 4, 19. We love God because he first loved us. There's that responsiveness, right? It's not God loves us because we love him. It begins with God. I think it was R.C. Sproul who said that the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture are those two words, but God. We are like this, but God is like this. And because of the but God, we have a whole gospel message because God intervenes, God changes, God works. And so God acts towards us, then we reciprocate. God is like the fountain, he is the source. Uh, while my wife and I, we went to, uh, to Sun River, we went to, to Bend, and we got to go see some of these alpine lakes, and one of the lakes we went to was Devil's Lake. I'm not giving an endorsement of Devil's Lake from the pulpit, but it is it's very pretty. Uh, and there were some streams, and if you've been there, you know this already, but it was my first time. All right, I'm a Kansan. We don't have mountains in Kansas. They terrify us. It makes it very uneasy. You can't see what's over them. The enemy could be on the other side. Uh, we like wide open plains because we know when someone's charging us. It takes them hours to get to us and we can prepare. Um, but, we, you know, my wife and I, we went and we saw one of these streams and I have never seen a clearer, more beautiful stream. Put my hands in, it's the coldest water I've ever touched in my life. That um, at least it didn't have ice cubes floating in it. Um, it's coming right down from the mountains. You're looking up. You're seeing the snow. You know it's melting and it's coming down. That stream came from the source. God is the source of the mercy, and we are, in essence, the stream, at least in this illustration, right? What we enjoy, what we do comes from God first, and that makes sense, right? The sort of person who shows mercy, is the person who first receives mercy, and that is why it shocks the world when Christians offer mercy or forgiveness to others. Of course, it is flabbergasting to see someone's sin be pardoned if you can scarcely imagine that it's possible for yourself. The world struggles with these sort of things, and that will continue to be the case. I think in many instances, it will be the forgiveness offered by Christians against those who do them harm that makes us stand out the starkest from the culture around us. Standing up and fighting is what everybody does. But it is when we offer forgiveness to those who hurt us that we suddenly look like oddities. Mercifulness is so unlike the world that it will be obvious to others that we have experienced mercy. Mercy makes us alien creatures to those around us. We are curious oddities to the watching world because we know and we've tasted something they never have. Here's where I want to stop a moment and say to you all this very important qualification. You get this mercy not by good intention. You don't get it by osmosis, by being around other Christians. You don't experience this mercy from God by being a good person. You don't give uh, X amount to a charity or uh, have a certain family history of church attendance. And that's how you get this. You get this by mercy from the hand of Christ, by faith alone. It is easier than a work. It is actually easier than accumulating a family history of church attendance such that you can go to God and say, I attended church through the whole pandemic. I, I, I never missed a Sunday. I haven't missed a Sunday in 50 years. That is harder to do than to put your faith in Jesus. What Jesus gives us is easier than any work. It is freer than any financial gift. It is held out to anyone who will take it. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. And see, when that happens, it doesn't matter how filthy your past was. It doesn't matter how wretched your your thought life has been. It doesn't matter how you've behaved toward others. It is the true scandal of the cross. It's the true scandal of Christianity that the worst of the worst can know forgiveness in Christ. Uh, I remember in years past hearing that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, notorious serial killer, may have come to faith in Jesus in prison. I don't know if he did. I don't know anything except that it was reported that he did. I'm more interested in the response of people because you had some people, they say, no, that's impossible. They They said it's either inconceivable that somebody like that would come to Jesus or they found it inconceivable that God would forgive someone like that. In both cases, you're wrong. In both cases, both assumptions are mistaken. Why is that? Anyone's heart can be changed. I think that belief that God wouldn't forgive that kind of sin comes from a heart that says, my sin's not that bad. Um, Or it comes from the heart of somebody who says, there are just some people who are too bad and they can't be changed. Anyone can be forgiven. That really is the promise of Scripture. That is the scandal of the cross. So if the thought of a serial killer in prison being redeemed and being next to you around the heavenly throne is disturbing, on the one hand, I think you need to understand grace better. But I also think on the other hand, maybe you at least understand understand what is scandalous about forgiveness in the first place. So I'm here to tell you, if you repent and you trust in Christ, he will send your sin as far away as the east is from the west. And and if you haven't done that before, you can do it right now where you're sitting. You can do it today. You can do it sitting in your seat. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to another elder after the service. But in your heart of hearts, you can stop looking to yourself and finding your confidence in yourself and finding, trying to find and trying to earn or trying to merit forgiveness in yourself. And instead, you can trust in Christ. And I promise you this, by God's authority, he will accept you and he will make you his child and he will adopt you into his family. You will truly become his child and begin to walk in a new light with the Holy Spirit as your helper. That is the mercy that you will get and which Jesus is so very, very eager to give, and I'm eager for you to receive it. That's the first point this morning. Christians are mercy getters. Christians are mercy getters. But second this morning, Christians are mercy givers. If you are the person I just described, if you're the person who has has put your trust in Jesus, you have removed your trust in self, and, and you've trusted in the Lord You know a mercy that is hard for the world to imagine. Okay, Jesus tells a story of a person who owed uh, an incredible amount of money to a moneylender. And then there was another person who owed a little bit of money to the moneylender. And in the story, he says that both of them get their debts forgiven. And then Jesus says, which of them do you suppose loved him more? And, of course, in the context of the story, the answer is the person who got forgiven more is the one who loves more. And yet he also tells the story of that person who experiences this incredible forgiveness going and shaking somebody down over a few dollars. It's as though they didn't even experience mercy to begin with. And it's like they never grasped what they had just received. And, again, you have this idea, though. What is it? It's a responsive mercy, right? When we experience mercy, Jesus expects that we will be people who show mercy in return. We aren't shown mercy just so that we can keep it for ourselves and benefit from it. This stuff is meant to be a blessing to other people. Genesis 12 tells tells us that when Abraham gets blessed, what does he say? He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. We don't get this stuff just to keep it together and just to hold it for ourselves. It is meant to be dispensed. There's that key phrase there, so that, right? That is a goal statement. That's a statement that tells us why we get the mercy to begin with. So there's this purpose to mercy. It is other serving. It is outward facing. And so we should be asking the question, who can I bring in? Who can I love? Who can I care for? Who do I know who's hurting? How does my world need to open up wider than it is? See, the idea of mercy is, is, the, is one that relates to relieving others of the miseries of sin. You know, we just had uh, uh, Daniel with the deacons come forward this morning talking about work that needs to be done. Oftentimes we talk about much of the work of the deacons as Uh, Being oriented toward mercy ministry, right? That is a ministry that is focused on those who are suffering what? The misery of sin. Maybe that's poverty, maybe that's physical hurt, maybe it's relationship problems, but all those things are a part of the misery of sin. Sin ruins this world and it ruins our relationships and it ruins people's lives. And so there are consequences that come from that. Sin leaves an imprint around us and it leaves an imprint in the lives of people around us. Maybe the most emblematic example of mercy that we see in Scripture, and and indeed one of the stories that most illustrates the imprint that sin leaves on people is the story we actually read this morning, the story of the Good Samaritan you remember how this poor man was robbed and stripped and left half for dead. Why did that happen? Because he lives in a fallen world where people are greedy and steal from others and would be willing to leave a man dying by the road. That's the kind of world that he lives in. This is a man suffering the miseries of sin. You have the, Levi, the priest, of course, who keeps a distance and passes by him. You have the Levite, this man of God, this religious man who sees him and says, I can't get close to someone like that. And then you have the Samaritan. And the, the part of what makes the Samaritan so scandalous is that, that the Samaritan is not an Israelite. He's not, he's not even seen as Orthodox. They look at the Samaritan and they think this guy's from another religion. This guy's from another culture. This guy's another ethnicity. He's not even Israelite, even though he kind of is. <laughs> he's, he's their family. And Jesus tells the story with the outsider being the hero. And he tells it on purpose. He says, these, are, these people are the opposite from each other. And yet, what does he do? He takes this broken man and he binds up his wounds. Why? Because we're fellow human beings. He washes this man. He helps this man. He heals this man. He goes to his own expense to give him shelter. He shows a kindness that the religious people weren't willing to give in the story. This social outsider shows more love than all the rest. And he makes sure that he's able to be restored. And you remember how Jesus told this story and he looked at his disciples and he said, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. This is a story of mercy. Mercy given by someone who had already gotten. See, he isn't moralizing. He's saying what God said to Abraham. You've been blessed so that you can bless. Now, here is, here's where many Christians go. They go off the path of Christ. They do it with good intentions. They do it thinking they're being faithful. Um, but they say, well, then we're supposed to do good to others. We're supposed to show mercy. And so they just become general philanthropists. Um, they go into the world. They advocate for issues in society they think will make other people's lives better. They become professional do-gooders, perhaps. None of that wrong so far. Right? They give money to organizations they think do good in the world, but then the mistake is they think, I am fulfilling Jesus' command. I am being merciful. But remember what we, we said before, grace is concerned with the guilt of sin, mercy is concerned with the misery of sin. We should never be focused exclusively on only one of these things. If we are people who focus on relieving the misery of sin, but we don't share the good news of the gospel, we wouldn't dare tell somebody about Jesus or how their sin can be dealt with, how the guilt of sin can be lifted, then guess what? We have wiped up blood from the wound, but we have not closed the wound. All right, we just put a bandage on, bandage on and we don't remove the bullet. We don't deal with the real underlying situation, Right? Every person who is suffering in this world has a serious issue that the world cannot help them with. They have an issue that no amount of philanthropy can help. And so if, you've decided, if we've decided to be good people, but we have also committed that we're not going to ruin our good works by bringing Jesus into the discussion, we have failed in what Jesus has shared with us. Did Jesus only show us mercy? Did he not also show us grace? Share the same mercy you've been shown. That's what Jesus is saying to us here in this beatitude. I mean, imagine imagine that the greatest news in the world has been given. In fact, imagine that the greatest thing you could possibly hear is out there. And instead, you decide to share some other news instead. Uh, picture a man returns from war. He has injuries from this war. He is in the hospital. He's recuperating from his wounds. Now imagine this, while he is in the hospital recovering, the war has ended. People are in the streets celebrating, they're dancing, ticker tape parades, people are kissing strangers, there's a nurse that comes into the room, and you can hear all the people outside celebrating, and the nurse comes in and says, good news, I've brought you lunch. (laughs) The nurse is being merciful? Yeah, she is. But also, hasn't she buried the lead? <laughs> As Christians, we should be careful not to focus on grace to the exclusion of mercy and not to focus on mercy to the exclusion of grace. If Christ came to deal with the guilt and misery of sin, then we ought to also deal with the guilt and misery of sin. That means we're sharing the gospel with people who are hurting. We're relieving temporal sufferings as far as we're able, but we make sure that the gospel is involved, that people hear it. Um, That old saying that St. Francis of Assisi never said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. There's no wordless gospel. There is no wordless gospel. There is no such thing as doing good deeds and someone knowing about Christ because of those good deeds without also the statement, Christ is Lord, trust in Jesus. So once we are rescued from the clutches of sin and misery, we suddenly see ourselves in this new light, We start to see the incredible impact that the misery of sin has on the world. We see people who now aren't an inconvenience to us. Instead, what do we see them as? We see them as people to be pitied. We see them as people to be loved. We're filled with compassion in a way that we used to be filled with selfishness. And we used to be filled with inward focus. That's the change that happens when God shows mercy to us. Are we more than receivers of mercy? If so, it is incumbent upon us that we become mercy givers and mercy givers who dispense real, true mercy and grace at that. And that means we don't just focus on the body, but also upon the soul. And we don't focus only upon the soul, but also upon the body when the needs are there. I mentioned before what extraordinary mercy the Samaritan showed, but I want you to also remember that we have a greater model of mercy than the Samaritans. Isn't Jesus a greater example of mercy even than the Samaritan, right? Think of this. Jesus enters this world. He enters this cursed creation, this miserable realm, if there ever was one. And he knowingly and he willingly marches his way to the cross. Carrying it himself on his back. There there are times where Jesus looks at, at the people and the biblical authors will make this observation. It'll say, he looked at the man and he loved him. You ever notice that? Later in Matthew, he tells us that when he saw the crowds, it says, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see that disposition of Jesus. What is he like on the inside? He looks at a man who's challenging him theologically, and instead of getting frustrated or mad at the man, he's just filled with love. I just love this man. And then what happens when Jesus looks at these crowds? He looks at these crowds full of stupid people who can't figure their own way out of a paper bag. (laughs) And instead of being frustrated and angry with them, it says he had compassion on them. Why? Because he knew their situation, right? He knew they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He pitied them for the miseries of sin and the toll that it was taking on them and on the world around them. And so, what does Jesus do? He enters into our world, he loves us, he has compassion on us. Jesus is the example. We are the sick, naked, dying man bleeding by the road, and he really is the Samaritan who has come and who has shown mercy. You know, I I could end with a long list of applications. I could regale you with ways that you could be merciful or that you should show mercy. But if you look at these Beatitudes, I think overwhelmingly... Jesus is concerned to get at the heart attitude. I mentioned Jesus' heart attitude, right? Love and compassion. The place all of the things that Jesus does spring from. And so rather than focus on, hey, let's get into the details, let's talk about all the ways you can show mercy to people while at the same time making sure you're sharing the gospel as well, I want to focus on the same, th- same thing as Jesus here. What is your heart attitude? I'm not going to ask you if you're supporting the right ministries, if you're giving money to the right organizations. I'm not going to ask you if you're doing this or that. These are all questions for you to work on in your own heart. I simply want to aim at this one question. What is the state of your heart towards others? Are you merciful towards others? Do you feel compassion for the people of this world who not only Sin, but whose lives have been ruined by sin. Uh, Lloyd Jones says this way Do you have pity upon all who are the victims of the world, the flesh, and the devil? That is the test. Have you received mercy? Are you merciful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you implant within our hearts a pity for the people? who are hurting from the effects of the fall. Would you impress upon us the sort of kindness that you have shown to us that we, that we should show the same to others? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.